there's a very good chance that if you have a serious pain, there is an AI tool for that. Focus on two, three pains the most, if not even one. Go do the research. You probably find a few tools. Think about what's, what's your biggest pain. Research, check the comments, check issues, check usage, and, and see those that are, are companies in your domains and using it. Choose two or three. Uh, experiment because it could be different for you. I don't think all of this it should take one, more than one week. And I think one of the great things about AI tools is that many of them are really easy to use, like ChatGPT or, or so. In today's fast-paced business landscape, the success of your business relies on the success of your engineering team. And the impact on engineering leaders has been clear. We must deliver exceptional software while driving business outcomes. In short, we have a dual mandate. Enter Linear B, the software delivery management platform designed specifically for engineering leaders. With Linear B, you gain the visibility and automation you need to streamline your processes and unlock your team's full potential. Imagine a world where your engineering organization effortlessly manages business outcomes. Linear B empowers you to accelerate software delivery while ensuring your projects align with your strategic objectives and reporting out to key stakeholders. Gone are the days of disjointed workflows and missed opportunities. With Linear B, you'll harness the power of advanced analytics and real-time insights, allowing you to make data-driven decisions that drive business success. From tracking progress to identifying bottlenecks to optimizing resource allocation, Linear B has you covered. It's time to take control of your software delivery pipeline and unlock new levels of efficiency. Experience the power of a platform designed by and for engineering leaders like you. Discover the future of software delivery management. Visit LinearB.io today and start transforming your engineering organization. Hey everyone, and welcome to Dev Interrupted. My name is Ishai Biri, I'm the CTO at LinearB and I'm filling in for Dan Lines today. Some of you have, uh, have seen me from previous episodes, mostly of our labs. That's because I, I work a lot with our data team and I'm exposed to a lot of the exciting stuff that we're doing with understanding the behaviors of developers, dev teams at large, using the huge data that we have. I'm happy to dive into AI today, the buzzword that everyone is talking about, and I have a special guest. So welcome, uh, Itamar Friedman, the co-founder and CEO at Codium. Hey, Itamar. Hey, Shai. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great, great to have you. Thanks for joining. So I always like to start with my guests with, you know, give me a brief overview of your your background, your journey so far. So you're now co-founder and CEO of Codium, but how have you started and, and how did you get here? Right, I'll do it shortly. Uh, so I was a two-time uh, CTO of uh, VC-backed startups. Uh, so actually 20 years of uh, R&D or CTO management and hacking. My last company I sold uh, was acquired by Alibaba Group. Then I joined Alibaba Cloud. Alibaba was uh, journey was fascinating. I was there for four years. To, we did a, quite a few projects, but uh, two products that I'm really proud of is one that we build an AutoML solution as part of uh, Alibaba Cloud. It means that we automated machine learning ML model creation. And the second one was actually a B2C app that uh, within one and a half year of development from Israel, we reached to 10 million monthly active users. And it's, it's growing nicely and already monetizing, etc. Before that, I did a bachelor and a master degree in a technion, like a mastering in machine learning. Uh, optimization was uh, one of my favorite topics. And I worked on here and there are a few startups, maybe and companies, maybe the, the worth mentioning that I, I mean, in the early days, I worked in verification, 
like in Mellanox, uh, and actually it was hard verification. And then I worked on system verification in a company called uh, Silk. Uh, so that's also relevant to what, what I'm doing today. So roughly speaking, that's, uh, that's my background. Great. So you moved from uh, more like the formal stuff of ML and, you know, verification all the way to the new fluffy area of, uh, I don't know, generative AI. Can you tell us a little bit about Kudio? What, what does Kudio do? Yeah, of course. So, so yeah, like the really early days of my career, if you can call it this way, was actually when I was a teenager and I had a first com- my first company and like, what, like 40 clients and quite a few employees. I'm mentioning it because um, one, my ever first employee was today my co-founder, uh, Daddy Carreto, so we know each other for 25 years or more. But it just it's to say that I did like uh, web, mobile, uh, hardware, <laughs> system, networking, storage. But my major is machine learning, actually even robotics. But almost in all of these, I had like algorithms uh, involved and, and machine learning. So I, I've seen like uh, algorithms from uh, in the le- previous century, those of the 2000, 2010. And, and my, and my master degree, I actually deal with uh, a bit of deep learning. So I, I see like uh, being taking part in this amazing progress and evolution. I actually see it like a step by step progress. Yes, uh, the progress is, is going faster, and like we do have uh, even growing gradient, but, but I do see it as a progress. So, for example, in 2016, there was already the the GAN, the Generative Industrial Network, uh, with generating uh, a network that is in charge of generating content, and then one charge of like uh, uh, verifying the content, etc. And then there was 2018, uh, attention is all you need, etc. So I see it as a direct continuation of what we're seeing today. I wasn't surprised from, you know, the LLMs. One of the reasons I, I left Alibaba uh, in the end of 2021, the beginning of 22, is because we developed uh, with large language models. We even created uh, a few, uh, you know, foundation models, etc. At, at a certain scale. And we saw how powerful these models became. And uh, if you can frame a problem, if you can frame a problem as a language, not, not necessarily natural language, it could be like a DNA sequence, it could be a user usage of your website. If you can, if you can frame it as a language, la- large language model could get you really far with analyzing the content and also generating relevant uh, content uh, to that. And, and then I thought to myself that, uh, hey, uh, I, as a R&D manager for 20 years, maybe it's time to tackle one of my biggest problems, which is code logic testing. Similar to what I did maybe in the hardware area where we did formal verification, we had tools to, to because it was really expensive to tape out. Uh, it means yep. like to send uh, hardware to production and then like uh, having bugs there. But but uh, in the software, we had we have less uh, fitting, uh, and, and there are reasons. It's, it's not just a, the not just a, the, the, how how much it costs to to ship software. There's there's reason, and I realized that some of the reasons uh, behind why we don't have good products and tools to check code logic uh, can be mitigated or even solved with AI. And that's why when I left Alibaba and uh, some ideation about the exact vector and uh, you know resting. And uh, in July 22nd, which is almost uh, one year, uh, we're celebrating soon one year, uh, I opened a company together with uh, my partner, Daddy Credo. And, uh, and what we're doing in Coding AI is building an AI coding assistant uh, focused on helping developers reach zero bugs. Okay, the second part is the most important. Like there's a lot of code generation tools, but we are more like the adversarial, actually. 
we're like helping to reach zero bugs, helping to verify that the code is uh, generated as expected, that what you write, whether with an AI or not, is fits to your uh, intent, et cetera. So that, that's what we do. And that's how we reach that through the, our background in, in machine learning and large language models through our own pains as, as developers and, and managers. Amazing. So you're deep in that space where AI and developers meet each other. And, you know, as we prepped for this show, you, you said like maybe one of the greatest questions that's now hovering over our industries is, uh, are we going to even have developers in 10 years? So what's your <laughs> thing on that? Is AI going to eat our lunch? AI is going to eat our lunch, but probably we have much more lunch to, to eat in general. Okay. So, so first of all, it's very hard to, to predict, especially the future, but I'm still going to try to do that. I think like the, I, I think it's worthwhile separating between five, 10, 15 years. Uh, I'll, and largely I have like a, a general thought, general thinking process. I'm thinking this way. Like I, I like when I have a riddle, I like to think on like stream. So I have a question for, for us, like think about a future. Uh, imagine a, f- a future with no developers at all. Like, can, can you think about it for a second? Like you ask any piece of software, anything that you want, like whatever, and get it from AI, even like software that was not written before or requires like uh, a really uh, high coordination between, uh, I don't know, different system between, between people, etc. So uh, when, when I put it in a framework of, I don't know, like 10 years, uh, I don't see that. And, you know, I think that maybe the AI needs to rule, <laughs> to some extent, needs to rule the entire, uh, let's say, uh, ecosystem, needs to rule the agenda, and then that may happen. And that's why I said, like, maybe 15 years, it's, it's another issue. Now, the other way around, do you see a case, like, in five years that uh, their AI is not taking a major part? It also doesn't make sense. Like you see how much it's doing right now and you see all the uh, effort that is being put into it and like diverse effort. And I see like in five years, I think we're going to have a, like an intelligent software development stack that enables every developers, actually even creators to be able to code and deploy and, and think about software and as if they are enhanced, but also as if they have like 10 more skilled developers obeying to them to, to some extent. So that's how we see like the, the five year and the 10 year is like where AI is doing a lot and uh, as software developers, we can reach really harder like tasks, like, you know, reaching Mars and whatever. And 15 years is like really hard to predict. It really depends <laughs> where AIs take us, uh, generally speaking. So that, that's how I see it. So let's park this uh, large question. Uh, I see where you're going with uh looking at the edges of this problem uh, and understanding probably that it's never going to be an all or nothing. But now I'm a development manager, I'm a VP of engineering somewhere, or I'm a developer starting or in, you know, in my journey. What are people asking? What is uh, on top of mind now for people that are starting to see this AI, uh, in, AI in development happening? Great question. So I, I do want to say like, uh, like, I think you should have two angels on the, on your shoulders right now. Like, uh, so sorry, two advocates, I meant a, a devil advocate and an angel advocate. And first I'm going to, uh, like, uh, relate to the angel advocate. I'll elaborate a bit with what you just said. Like, I think listening to your angel advocate, you should be really open and being active about 
listening and adopting uh, AI. At the same time, <laughs> with the devil advocate, you need to ask yourself a few questions like, what is the transition? What is the best tool I want to try to use right now? Well, which one of them is actually mature? Or if you want to be a bit more positive, which actually really fits my, uh, my use case? So uh, you consider them both and maybe later we can uh, put more focus on a devil advocate. But first, uh, I'll, I'll focus on the angel advocate. So I think like uh, really high level speaking, usually as developers, we have the setup phase, right? Like it's either our setup environment, it's either our communication with the product team on what we're building, you know, doing the research about uh, how we want to accomplish things. Then there is like uh, the implementation phase, right? Uh, you write your code, you debug, you, you know, commit, you, you have the process with, with the development team. And, and then there is a deployment stage, you know, whether uh, I, I'm including them, not only like uh, the CI CD in the cloud, but actually even the feature flagging. Okay. Yep. And, and now my point here is that I think that for each one of these elements and there's sub elements, it's part of these tasks or sub processes. And there's, uh, there, you will find a tool that is somewhere or even a few uh, between mm, starting to half mature, half baked to, to mature. And what you can do is try to start with your pains, try to start look like I'm, I'm like breaking down my difficulties as a manager or as a developer, by the way. And let, but let's focus as a manager for a second. And where are my difficulties? Look on this matrix. Try to think the pains that you think that you can imagine that if you had like an intelligent like a creature, don't think about the product. Could could it help? And then try start looking for products. And most like uh, a really good chance that you'll find something. And let's look at coding AI, if I may say about like what we're developing. So let's say that you're uh, you're a manager that uh, you're really struggling with uh, <laughs> reducing amount of bugs in production. And the way that you're doing it, I don't know, is like uh, asking your developers or to adding more tests and uh, increase code coverage. But at the same time, you know that code coverage could be a proxy metric to actually good testing or even sometime vanity if, if you don't treat it, treat it, treat it uh, correctly and it's hard to treat it correctly. Then, okay, you have a pain. And then you look for these, you know, words and you'll find Kony BI because this is exactly those are the pains we want to help with, like helping developers. Uh, if you look on the comments of our product, you see the people saying, I hated testing. Now it's fun. And uh, oh my God, I found two bugs in production, you know, things like that. And uh, like in the code that is already in production. So, so that's, that's my uh, main, main recommendation. Think about AI as another, another intelligent uh, being that, and how can that apply to my problem? Is that like, what if I had another developer on my team that I would put just on these tasks? Because developers tend to be intelligent. If I'm looking for a general answer through intelligence, if I hired another developer and asked them to do this, is that a good initial proxy to think about what I can get from AI? Just more firepower with, with brains, probably cheaper than, than a developer. But is that like... Ideally, on par with what an AI could could give me, like one word yes, two words yes no, and four is yes no maybe so because I'll explain. Like I think AI, like the core capabilities uh, are relatively different in my opinion, and then it depends on how the product was packaged. 
the, a product that is AI empowered could behave like, like a developer, but it could do other things. It's like claiming like, and just for the analogy, basically you can say that Google basically does uh, 1 million people, 1 million developers uh, work to go over the entire internet and, and index it or something like that. But, yeah. but it's pra- in, unpra- impractical, right? Like it's, uh, it's not visible in, to some, some extent. So, so it, it's yes, because some products are like, for example, uh, those that are trying to, uh, like to be chatty or, or so like imitate, uh, like talking to a developer, but some of them are really bringing like UX UI that is, is really different. So I, I agree that it's one way to, to think about it, but, but another way is that there are capabilities like uh, indexing and looking things as a whole. And then one more perspective is that, you know, you also care a lot about uh, developer happiness. Uh, maybe you don't care so much on AI happiness. Okay, yeah. so right now. Uh, by the way, I do care. I'm just like considering that in the future. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that, for example, one of the reasons, it's only one reason that Coding AI, we decided to tackle code integrity, like code logic testing, is because I think right now, like uh, developers are either do not do too much testing uh, because they most mostly they hate it or because they like the, the creation and not like the verification or they do testing and they, they do practice verification code logic testing etc but they hate it so either you don't do it and hate it or you do it and hate it and and here you go there is a tool that can help with developer happiness and spread love and with this uh, best uh, good practice okay so so to summarize this point, yes, it's, it's, it does make sense to sync with this framework of, uh, I, I'm actually buying more developers and much cheaper, but I think it's more like I'm uh, adding more key, in additionally, adding more capabilities that maybe developers couldn't do, especially things in large scale, uh, just in time, you know, you never go to sleep. And, and as well as uh, doing this hard, harder or the stuff that developers maybe wouldn't want to do, you still want the developers as the drivers, if you ask me, and not the AI. AI right now is more like the uh, uh, empowering, okay? Using that metaphor to, to imagine where I could use AI, right? If, if I'm stuck with resources or my developers yeah. don't want to do this, and we you know we all hate verification, then I say, okay, what if I had a magic developer that loved it and was good at it? Yeah. But you're saying there's it yeah. goes beyond. Some, some skills are... Capabilities are very different. For example, having access to troves of data and being able to index right. or work very fast on a large right. uh, scale problem. Okay, so correct. number one, you're saying look at your p- current pains as a practitioner or a manager and know that there's a new class of solutions bubbling up around probably most right. of these pains. So actively look for something. Sometimes what I'm seeing is, you know, the, the co-pilots and, and other solutions, they're not, developers are not necessarily finding them because they have a pain. I know how to eventually write my uh, web app or my uh, database uh, service, but I'm still using co-pilot. So sometimes it's not a yeah. direct, like I'm not looking for something to ease a pain, but uh, I find something cool and actually saves me time. and. So how do you go about yeah, this? That's a pain. Things that are not, well, where I'm not even aware or acutely aware of the pain. Cool. So uh, I, I think like, I know I'm like a, a bit of generalizing here, but 
but develop like R&D manager or director of engineering or whatever. Like, uh, what's your what's your purpose? What, what are you trying to aim? Like maximum value, right, for the organization and minimum minimum time. <laughs> so you're basically like, right, like maximum value, uh, getting out maximum value from my R and D team to problem. develop the product and the business. Yeah, in in minimum time. So basically, time like spending time is a pain. For example, and I think pre uh, copilot, then you would spend a lot of time in searching in Google and Stack Overflow and things like that, you would it take you a lot of time to search and also combine searches. I think Copilot is basically disrupting that part. How do you, you know, instead of going search on, on Google or Stack Overflow, etc., fortunately and unfortunately, for different stakeholders, then you just search inside your your ID, but also like it kind of combined a few searches. That's what it's true. So it's it actually saves you a lot of time and it's a pain. The second thing is that for junior developers, if if I may say it, it's subjective, then it's actually even increases your level. Like like uh, it's not only like help you with the search and combination, but actually choose for you the best one. And to some extent, if you're a junior, probably raise your 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 level. So, so that's a pain, like two pains, uh, reducing time from if you want to make your software. But I agree that like maybe you wouldn't think about it directly. And this is why I also think with all the respect that Copilot is a really productive tool. But I think if you think it's a game changer, I think in five years you will think differently, that you will see like game changers tool, like really addressing like, Again, like I, I know what, what I'm saying is like, uh, like more like a vision. I'm not saying that right now. Uh, coding AI helps you like guarantee that you have zero bugs. Like it's like Tesla zero mission. Not necessarily they reach, but they're progressing really nicely. So think about it. if you can know that you have zero bugs in production and how much fast you can move when knowing that you're being covered this way. I think that's a game changer. So again, I have a lot of respect to Copilot, like co-generation. I think it's like really boost productivity. Uh, and maybe you didn't think about that as a pain originally because it's not that ac- acute pain. But if you think about the two pains I told you, then I think actually you do find it like they are quite big, maybe not acute. And that's why it's uh, it's fun. And also magical a bit, right? Like as a developer, oh, I can't believe that AI is doing it for me. And it was original. Like it was a, one of the first AI products. That's, I think, why we also so, love it so much. Yeah. So so if, you know, if I'm a dev manager, so there's looking for my specific pains and actively looking for solutions. What about like... My developers and you know people on my team are probably looking for those solutions too, starting to use them. How do I become more proactive in, in you know not just not just finding something to help me with a pain, but also helping my team discover and start to use these? How do I? We're going to talk about pitfalls in a bit, but even before, yeah, like, I'm, even, I'm even in the rosy <laughs> area, how do I? There's it's one level to say, oh, I have a pain. Let's look for a solution. How do I enable my organization? to go and, and, you know, jump on this uh, and, and harness this revolution beyond just, you know, yeah. looking for direct solutions. Yeah. So like everyone try out things. Do I have a, do I have to do a program? What's the, how do I approach this with, you know, I have a hundred developers in my org. What now? I have like a bit of a, a few, perhaps generic suggestions, but I actually want to like kind of twist them towards the AI tools uh, because I, I guess that most managers uh, would know the or the trivial ones like for example you know define how uh, like in your core 
do you want to be a first adopter, like early adopters and want to try and you want to be in the front? Uh, do you want to think like a mature, do you care or easy ease of integration or do you care uh, about uh, like how much of the pain it solves you? It's like, so there's, there's a trivial thing I just mentioned a few points and I think there are worth like uh, sitting and thinking about, I don't think like more than 30 minutes or so, like a discussion between a few people. Uh, but uh, twisting it, like thinking about like specific AI angle into it is that AI is like a statistical creature. Uh, by the way, there is a lot of debate. Is, uh, machine learning is like a, like a nice framework uh, around statistics or two different things. I, I don't know if you know all these memes. I have some opinions, but it's not the topic. So, so allow me to say like AI is a statistical creature for, and, and like it doesn't necessarily give you, uh, it depends on a product, but cons consistent answer. Uh, there is need different guardrails uh, developed by the product owner, and it could because of it, it's like that. It could work differently between two different companies or two two different uh, code bases or two different uh, teams, for example. Or so, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a big variance, but it could could be. So uh, what I'm saying here is that I think like I, I actually think that one of the thing you need to look at how easy for me is to, to check it a bit. And, and you would like to check a few and see how well they work for you. For example, I, I heard one, one company trying uh, for one quarter 13 tools and then choosing uh, two. And they were really happy about it because it's like a lot of investment, but they said that they wouldn't necessarily pick the, the two that they thought about. And that was, that was really helping them in a meaningful way that they couldn't think about in the originally. So maybe that's an extreme. I'm not sure. I, I'm experiencing this like uh, uh, enterprise are using coding AI, like we all, uh, like offer easy trial. And, and that, that's like the atmosphere right now, I believe. I think Linear B, et cetera, is uh, like on that, that uh, role right now. I hope really to integrate like and, and then ju just try it out. So I would just what I'm saying here is that with with AI, do consider how easy it is to try it out because it's not like a spec is written. It's going to be exactly like that. It's a lot about how it performs for you. So you're saying be active about experimenting. Like, don't just say I'm going to find right. one tool, experiment with tools. There's going to be variance. Maybe know that everything is changing so fast. So what you see now may not be what you have in six months. Can I even afford not to begin experimenting? Let's say I'm not an early adopter. <laughs> I have other priorities. It's not a huge pain I'm solving, but is it a risk or a material risk not to begin experimenting, not to have people on my team begin to look and use these tools? Am I mm -hmm. going to be left behind or at a severe disadvantage if I wait for a year and then I'll see what bubbles up, I'll see what makes it into mainstream and then I'll adopt. So we can uh, take again the notion of having two extreme cases. Let's say that there will be, there are already, I think, starting to build, but let's say there will be AI tools that helps your team. Just we're talking an extreme case, just like 10x more, more productive. Okay. And this means that your competitors are going to develop 10x faster if they on board, fully on board, and you did not. Okay, that's that's an extreme case. On the other way around, if these AI tools are hard to try, hard to experiment with, and basically bullshit, 
then you waste your time and you yep. defocus and you're probably having a lot of pressure. So it's probably like somewhere in the middle. And as time progress, uh, it actually goes toward the first extreme. That's my opinion. So that, that's why like uh, so far uh, we talked about like thinking about your pains that they're, they're there anyway and do start experimenting with them that because very good chance that some products could, could help you even very meaningfully. But then as you get to use these products that you need a, a slightly different mindset, then you could keep progressing with more and more tools as, as, as time passes. So that's like how, how I see it. I, I wouldn't recommend skipping because there's so many, like think like not too much time would take you to look on your pain, experiment a few. And that's my point here. Actually, I, I build up to, and I didn't say that, I think there are those tools that are really easy to try. So I don't think the efforts are so big to, and you, you shouldn't miss the opportunity. Again, so there is a devil advocate uh, part, right? So you're, you're mentioning the downsides or the yeah, devil, devil's advocate. Why not start? Yeah. So I, I think like, let's take one of the most dominant tools out there right now, like uh, GitHub Copilot as an example. Okay. So I heard from quite a few people, by the way, uh, I personally use the tool and, uh, and I love it. I just, I know I'm the CEO, but just, I couldn't, uh, for two days, I was actually programming. I don't do it too much. Uh, I couldn't stop myself this time. Uh, we're going to re release some new uh, thing uh, soon. And I wanted to, to contribute right now. Our tool is in the ID extension. We're about to connect also to the CICD uh, pipeline, etc. So I love it, but I heard from quite a few people they're passing through the traditional cycle of, uh, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God, this is actually ruining my development to, okay, this is useful, but I need to use it carefully. And, uh, and why, why do we have this cycle? It's because at the beginning, like you see the magic of AI and you start like even adopting the way you develop towards being AI empowered, which is good. But then you fall into traps of, you know, the AI suggested something that wasn't really fitting for your use case. And you're already so used to click tab and continue, you know, and, and then you realize that you can, <laughs> like, you can say AI will get better and better, but it's more than that. It's not like just the core capabilities of AI. It's even the UX UI, like the UX UI right now of code completion, not necessarily has the capability uh, to really like 100% give you code that always works. We'll talk about it in a second. So, and then you learn to use it better and go back to the driver and, 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 uh, you know, and, and then you, you enjoy the tool. So I think like by this example, you, you can see that, uh, one issue that I raise right now is the way you, you use AI and, and uh, you need to like, uh, work with your developers and yourself not to blindly trust it. This is obvious, but also, uh, also, not blindly, let's start using, uh, after you experimented, and that's what, what the team that I told you that tried 13 teams and then moved to two, they talked about each tool, like how it's the best way to use that tool. And, and, uh, like the way you, you need to start generating best practices around it. And then, uh, this, and so, so basically I'm, I'm repeating back, like it's a matter, I'm repeating again what I said before, like it's a matter of a statistical product. You need to be aware uh, of it. It requires different best practices. You need to be uh, aware of it. Uh, These best practices are, for example, you need to consider like best practices related to seniors, to juniors that, that might might be different. 
therefore it also might introduce new problems maybe that you didn't think about. Like maybe right now, you're going to have much more code because your developers are going to create much more code. And then you have also much more maintenance. Now, how are you going to handle that? Either you bring another AI or you need to deal with it. So, so that's, that's kind of the part, part of the, um, uh, the pitfalls. That's one of the reasons that uh, in Coding AI, we, we first decided to focus on something that people know there is a big pain and they're, they're really missing resources there and they don't like to, to do it too much. And when, when we focus uh, there, because we, we saw that like it's, it could be a standalone product that doesn't necessarily like need to change too much of your best practices. It just allow you to do more of them of the best practices right now. So if we dive into pitfalls, so let's say I'm proactive, I'm starting to experiment, maybe found some good tools to help with pains in my dev development org. I'm using AI to help me write code or to verify code or to you know add some tests or automate UI out of Figma's, whatever. There's a bunch of uh, yep. interesting applications. Totally. What should I be careful of? What, what, where can I get bit by the AI? What's the, where's the danger? Except for like, I know, yeah, I have to change the way we work and adjust, but where, where are the things that I should really uh, be afraid of? The, the part that I read, I repeat myself, I'll do it shortly, is that do, do, do imagine like if this AI tool is just nice to have, it's nice to have, but if it really like boosts productivity, what does it mean? Like, again, like I mentioned the code of, if I help the automating creation of code from Figma or in the code. And the developers are focused or half focused because they're actually like kind of accepting, check, taking, taking a look if it's good enough and continuing. They have, they put less attention into it almost, pro almost certainly. And then is the maintenance harder? Is debugging harder and things like that? So, so that's one as aspect of it. Now we focus a lot now. I'm like kind of that you, you need to debug code that you may, maybe necessarily like put enough of like uh, like time like a human uh, brain on on it yeah. to and now it's harder to find the place to understand it. Maybe you need another AI, but but it's not like right now uh, the, the the topic of just exact uh, specific issue. But I want to zoom out for a second because almost all the example that we said is around the implementation part, and I want to close like a circle. Going back to the what we talked in the beginning about pains, then you have the setup of everything, and you have the implementation, and then you have the uh, the deployment. So I want to like give you like example of two risks, if, if I frame this the term correctly, coin it correctly, in the setup and deployment. Let's say that there is imaginary a product that helps writing specification, but product specification helps writing PRD. And now the, the product people and with the developers, like let's say it's like a PRD, like almost on a technical, they're working together and they're using that assistant. It uses biases. That's how these, these product or LLMs are trained. So basically it's like a bias you towards the, the, like the trivial, trivial stuff towards like, like converges you <laughs> to, to maybe other products that existing because it was trained from somewhere else. Okay. So like the, the, the fact that statistical, like you, you need to have like a product that maybe doesn't uh, drag you to like to the, to the trivial solution. It depends on, on who, what, how much creative you want to do, how much the mission in the department. One so, risk is that the outputs of AI, at least in the generative mode, and this could be around how I implement the code, but also how I spec it or whatever uh, domain I'm using it. 
is naturally going to go with the common well-versed solutions or specifications or right. like some kind of a lower uh, common denominator because it's trained on a lot of data and it's going for right. what's common in the data. That's interesting. Uh, right. Like, yeah, it could ha- it actually can help you to be creative, right? When we see it with ChatGPT and other tools, but uh, I'll get to that in a second. It, it could be mitigated with a good product. Uh, I don't want to like we now can oh, do the Asian process for to be aware of to, to be yeah exactly so yeah. you know that this is a tendency of AI, right, exactly uh, these kinds of models they're going for the common data that is dominating their models the common data uh, be aware right. of that yeah that's how they trained so I, I want to say that a good product around AI like a company providing a product could try to mitigate it but take a look like being aware of it if they don't it's going to create that and now. Going to the other other side of the software development lifecycle, the deployment, same thing there. Like, uh, let's say you use some tool that actually helps you. Let's say that on the deployment, you have the observability tool, but you also maybe have an automated deployment. There are different risks if uh, statistically one of these models are incorrect, right? Like uh, if you have a problem with observability and uh, an event is being raised to a human right now in the, this year, uh, to be reviewed, then if you have like a false positive or something like that, false negative, okay, that could be handled as well as the overall precision and accuracy is, is, is good. But w- what happened if you deployed something wrong- wrongly? So uh, I would be careful, like, uh, like think about what's the worst scenario, what could it be? And sometimes the worst scenario might be worth it of how much it could automate and help you. But maybe you can even think to mitigate it with an additional wrapper of your own that the tool or, or the AI could not think about it. But because it's a wrapper, it's like some additional blocker or, or check that, that, that they could not imagine uh, would use, be useful specifically for your use case. So you can, you can think about it yourself and, and implement that. So what I'm hearing is think about what happens if the AI is wrong, because that... Right. The shape of being wrong is different between AIs and humans. Use some, uh, like, think about what the, like, the outcome of being wrong and then how you protect against that. Sometimes trusting AI in a place where the, the cost of being wrong is too much, you need to put some protection. And it's, it's right. I agree. Like, it's different. Think about the worst case scenario. Yeah. Not that humans aren't yep. wrong, but it's a, yeah. we are well versed with how humans get wrong. We're not, this is a new yeah. area. What Great about question. adversarial uh, risks in AI? Like some some ways where AI can be manipulated or leveraged to, to harm me in a like um, intentional okay. way. Let's give an example just to, for those listeners that are not well aware what is adversarial. So, and, but my point is going to be that I think like in software development, it's relatively rare right now. It's, you'd need to be aware of it, but uh, try to think if it's possible for you. Let's say that you're building uh, autonomous driving software and uh, with cameras and everything, and and now you're driving the car, uh, let's say level four or whatever, like autonomously. And uh, you were trained on all the data that exists in the world that was available to, to the company, to the team that is training the models. What happened if somebody, for example, some, uh, I don't know, uh, pedestrian uh, holds a huge screen 
And it's right now it's uh, uh, working like it's, it's showing like some semaphore or <laughs> some sign or, or, or something like that. And you can actually cause the car. Maybe it even shows you a, tr- a right turn uh, where there wasn't any right turn. What could happen? Like that's an adversarial case. Like most probably like they didn't see this case. By the way, I'm not saying that they're not aware of it. And probably they're trying to train against it, like being active, proactive. Uh, and having an adversarial model or adversarial data within their data set to train a generative or the analysis part of the, of the AI. So having said that, but it's still, there is an option to, to create an adversarial events. Okay. And then, uh, and, but there are many more cases. Recently, there's a talk about, like, I can put up some malicious libraries on NPM or PyPy yeah. and then put up some data that will cause generative AIs to, recommend code with these libraries. Now I've basically, Amazing. it's like we got a thousand Stack Overflows article uh, answers with bad code that is intended to harm people that use it. So yeah. I'm Amazing using uh, example. AI code and it's going to import a library that looks legit, but is actually malicious. Yeah. Amazing example. Uh, so I'm repeating just for the sake, like let's say that I want to, I, I want to curate damage. I'm creating some library. Somehow I, I bypass the filters of those that training the AI models and uh, in, being injected into their, uh, into the training. And then that will be suggested automatically. Uh, so two things. I think like, first of all, it's already happening with humans, right? Just to some extent. Uh, yep. even worst case, uh, in the worst, the worst case scenario is even like unintentionally because uh, like lock for J or whatever. Sorry. I, I forgot exactly like all the examples. So, so it's already happening and I'm not sure it's so easy to make it worse. But having said that, I, I think like you, you almost always like o- always want to have uh, checks and bias, uh, checks and balances, like almost everything, like everything you do, there, there is a reason that you code and you test, you, you do uh, a product, but you collect data <laughs> to give you feedback if, if, if it works. So my suggestion for it, and uh, even by the way, I'm just want to give like more developer example, would you use probably you use some cloud provider, but also cloud observability tool that it actually is not provided by the cloud provider. For me, it's unintuitive if you think about it for like, why, like why CloudWatch or whatever by AWS is not better than ABC. And, and the reason is that there, there is a good, like a reason that one is focused on actually checking f- problems in, in AWS and maybe they don't want, <laughs> it's not their focus. So I think same, same thing here. Like if you're afraid of, uh, you want to use some tool that you think that is so useful for you, but also afraid from consequences and also consider using the adversarial one. Like, sorry, like just fits code MEI, like code generation and code integrity are two different, two different tools. So, so that, that's my, my suggestion. And again, lastly, I would say, what's the worst case scenario? Like, uh, like for what you said, the worst case scenario is almost as, as in human. So basically uh, what I need to make sure is, is humans do not like and inject best, best practices that human do not accept gen AI code without like actually reviewing it or something like that. That's like, uh, I, I think for me, it's not, not such a big risk if you reference it to what exists today. Maybe to close out the, the pitfalls or the, the dangers, not just of using a generative AI, but also, again, I'm thinking about, you know, an engineering manager that is starting to foray into this area. There is so much hype today, hyper hype. There is... Yeah even just starting to experiment or looking for tools for my pains or 
moving from zero to one and how we use AI in, in, in our development organization with so much noise happening today, how do, how do I remove the risk of wasting time just because of all the noise? How do I cut through the amazing hype that's happening right now and actually go to things that are real, that actually give value? Because everyone, you know, and their cousin are doing AI, AI tools right now. Yeah. I think that if, if we were talking about uh, half a year ago, uh, then I would say that if you want to use them, you'll probably be the very early adopter. But I think that uh, right now, like the things are moving so fast and the usage is so fast. Like we, it could be like uh, a new tool could have like us, 100,000 developers like in a month, like joining and, and trying and, and uh, the tool and actually using it. And and if you see that uh, the reactions like of the, the, the developers, like usually dev tools have stars, not GitHub, like, I mean, like of the product itself, comments, like issues, uh, open issues, closed issues. You, you can look on all, all these things, even if it's like a ha- only half a year or three months, you probably see a lot of uh, companies and, and developers already trying these. So, so I think like to add to what, what I said is that you, you almost always don't need to be uh, the first one. And very probably that someone with your domain or even a friend try that product. Having said that, I, I'm still like holding my position that uh, that will help you to choose between a lot, but still you need to experiment to check it works for you. Even in the code generation era, uh, like it's our sister market, we're in the code integrity, then there you have like a, 10 tools. Well, it's not only Copilot, there's Code Whisperer yep. by... Uh, uh, by Amazon and, and others even. So so could work differently. If I want to save some time and not go for like all of those, like, again, amazing uh, uh, array of solutions out there. So I should gravitate towards the ones that are already showing some, in, you know, traction, usage, reviews, right. and that that's a way to look at, a, at fewer candidates, like a little more established. Again, yes, it's going to be right. three months more established, but it, either the large companies, like, you know, anything that OpenAI does or GitHub or in every space, there's going to be one or two leaders. Look for the traction and then follow that. Yeah, unless you define yourself as a really early adopters and, and it's a fun or, or important for you. So if I, if I like summarize this, it's, hey, there's so many AI tools. Uh, some of them are better and, and here and there. Some of them are different. Some of them are, have better buzz, etc. Stick about your pains. There's a very good chance that if you have a serious pain, there is an AI tool for that. Focus on two, three pains the most, if not even one. Go do the research. You probably find a few tools. There are some fields that are, aren't too many, uh, like code integrity. I think maybe like there aren't many. It's a really hard task to check code logic, but in most uh, areas, there, there are quite a few. Like code generation, you'll find 10 and, 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 and documentation you will find and, and PR review, et cetera. Think about what's, what's your biggest pain, research, check the comments, check issues, check uh, usage, and, and, and see uh, those that are, are comments or, or companies in your domains and using it. Choose two or three, uh, experiment because it could be different for you. I don't think all of this it should take one, more than one week. If you decide that ease of use is, is one of your decision, Gridiron, uh, and and I think one of the great things about AI that tools that many of them are really easy to use, like ChatGPT or, or so. I know a lot of dev managers are asking this. You know, they're asking us, uh, wondering what your your thought is. My developers are starting to use Copilot or some other 
a code generation tool or, or for reviews or any of the domains. How do I know that it's helping beyond developers saying, oh, this is great. How do I measure <laughs> the impact of using, let's take a simple example. Or de we've deployed Copilot in some of the work. How do I measure the impact? Is it really helping? Is it imaginary or is it small addition to our productivity or a large one? Amazing. So I think different AI tools, uh, it's a great point. I think different AI tools and products, it won't be the same measure, like the metrics for the different one will, will uh, enable you to have more concrete or less concrete metrics. Like for example, with Copilot, you can actually see what they're publishing in their youth, like papers, et cetera. And you see that they actually mostly focusing on developer happiness. And they claim that, and I'm not saying it's not correct. Like they claim that this is uh, like research that's the most important thing for eventually boosting productivity and, and everything. So there is a reason because it's hard for them to measure something else. But if, for example, you look on, look on Coding AI, then first uh, you can see how much you increase your code coverage or more importantly, like uh, a metric that we suggest, it's called behavior coverage because we think that code coverage could be a proxy. And, and again, sometimes uh, mistakes is manatee. And, and you can really measure like the behavior coverage. You can even measure how many bugs uh, were deployed every cycle or so if it goes down. So it really depends on the tool. And I do really suggest to choose to check what's your metric. Well, in those cases that it's actually developer happiness, then, you know, you probably will add this tool if your developers are asking it for, because you're, you're, uh, you want to make them more happy. But for others, maybe you're willing even to pay more because there's more concrete metrics. Yeah, developer happiness and experience is very important, but it's a, it's a lagging indicator and it's also a little like removed from yeah. the actual, like, what's the reason they're happy? Is this because of Copilot or something else? So you're, you're saying yeah. there hasn't, well, like no, not a natural thing to measure that directly uh, sees the impact, at least not, not someone that's not something that's obvious. I'm saying it depends on which tool, like it could be really different. If it's a tool helping you in code integrity, then you can have concrete measures. If it's a, a tool that helps you to write your JIRA tickets, then it's harder, but maybe yeah, even actually you could have some label that, you know, people can mark for you on how complete it is. Okay. If it's a copilot, maybe they did a job and tell you that it's happiness. So it's, it's, it's really, it really depends. For closing, maybe we go back to this 10 year question and let's try to dig a bit in. When we were talking about, will we be developing software? Or will we have developers in 10 years? You suggest that we look at the edges and say, okay, there's probably no future with no devs and no future with no AI and dev. But let's sort of take that apart. If you look at the, the range of, of key activities and skills developers are doing today, what is obvious that is going to be replaced or heavily impacted by AI? Which are the, the areas that you think are the easiest for AI to solve and re remove most of the human labor from? I think like it's kind of like going to raise everyone up, to be frank. Not necessarily replace. I, I, I'm probably wrong here, but probably something could be easier and will be replaced. But, but general notion, I think like everything, like juniors will be like tech leads would be able to influence more the juniors because they will have AI tools where they can put their guidelines and suggestions and that will be impacted. It's a part of the thing that we're working on, impacted on how the junior works. 
Uh, you know, it's also a dangerous bias, but not that way. We, we have to finish very soon, so I won't dig into it. But I think it will lift everyone, to be to be frank. I know I'm I'm probably missing, and some jobs are going to be replaced or dismissed or or need less of them. But I think like more people will be able to code. Uh, juniors will be able to do more. Seniors will be able to influence more and deal with much more complicated uh, tasks. DevOps, uh, like people will be able to up, uh, like orchestrate much more and uh, solve problems much faster, etc. And uh, so I, I don't necessarily like, but by the way, I do think that developers would be able to do much more in DevOps than they could do before with AI tools. So you can say that supposedly you DevOps people will disappear. Rather, I think that uh, maybe you'll need less, but but they would uh, also be able to deal with much more complicated uh, things. So again, I'm talking about like the five years or more towards and, and the 15 years is, is a totally uh, different game. What you're saying is uh, there not, are not like skills or professions that are going away. It's more like everyone yeah. has, could level up and yeah. the power or the outputs that even a junior could wield if they're well-versed in, in using those AIs and prompts and whatever, you know, the entry point is higher. Yeah. What are, what are the things that you think are impossible or very hard for AI to, again, five years now from now to tackle in the dev world? Human-to-human communication. Of course, it will actually help us in human-to-human communication. It, there will be tools that helps product managers to talk with engineers. Like you mentioned the Figma to code. It's actually uh, then now a product manager can push, maybe we'll be able to push code to production, et cetera. So, but still, uh, I think like converting product concept into the technology, being in that point, like, again, AI will help you build architecture better and, and give you more architecture ideas. But uh, in general, product manager, I, I think that there is a lot more to go on the reasoning uh, because it's also involved a lot of intercommunication between people. And the second thing are, especially where the programming task or whatever DevOps or is very, very unique, very unique for a specific company. Okay. You need like the AI to reach really high levels to be able to deal, deal with that. So it's either on the wrapping, everything, imagining, you know, leading. And, uh, it doesn't mean that you won't have like a, like additional agent that do a lot of tasks for you, but you need to manage it. And the really, really complicated stuff. That's, I think like where AI would be hard for in five years to, to reach. Amazing. Itamar, thanks so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. I hope uh, you enjoyed it as, as much as I did. Thank you so much for hosting me. I really had fun. Thank you, Shai, and the listeners. So yeah, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Please take a minute to rate and review our podcast if you haven't done that. It really means a lot to us. And we'll see you next week. 